0: This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Bloomberg News anchor Betty Liu has often been asked by young people how she gained success in her career. In trying to provide answers, she realized she had her own questions about how to continue to advance her career. Those questions ultimately led her to reach out to CEOs from some of the most successful companies for their thoughts on what it takes to succeed. Wharton management professor Adam Grant recently talked with Lou about her new book, which grew out of this process, Work Smart, What CEOs Say You Need to Know to Get Ahead. In this interview with Knowledge at Wharton, Lou shares insights from some of those she spoke with, including J.P. Morgan's Jamie Dimon, AOL's Susan Lyne, and Berkshire Hathaway's Warren Buffett.
1: I'm Adam Grant, Wharton professor. I'm here with Betty Liu, who is a Bloomberg anchor. You may know her from Betty in the Loop, also a Penn alum, And she's the author of the new book, Work Smarts, giving advice from CEOs on what it really takes to succeed in your career and get ahead. Betty, welcome.
2: Hi, thank you, Adam. Great to, ha- great to be here.
1: I'm just thrilled to have a chance to reverse our roles and put <laughs> you in the hot seat today.
2: <laughs> Vice versa. I know. I-, I can't believe I am in the hot seat. So, uh, so be nice to me, Adam. <laughs> I'll do
1: my best. So why are you here? What motivated you to write this book?
2: You know, it was for a lot of people during the uh, during the last few uh, few years. There've been I've had several people when I've been at um, conferences, when I've been at events. Uh, I've had people come up to me, young people mostly, you know, people from college who've said, "You know, Betty, you're so successful. Please give me some advice about what I can do with my career." And I got enough of those questions that I started to think to myself, there must be this there is this great need and I'm sure you see it all the time Adam of young people who want to get career advice they want some direction but what was funny was that while they were asking me these questions I kept saying to myself gee I have the same questions I want to know what to do with my career I don't feel all that successful you know I still want to know how these very basic questions how to make your boss happy how to ask for a raise um, you know how to, how to how to stand out how to shine and so I thought you know, if I, I still have these questions in the middle of my career, then other people must have those same questions. So who do I ask then? And so then I began to think, well, the best people to ask are the people who are at the top who are at the very top of their careers. And those would be the CEOs that I talk to every day on our program on Bloomberg. So, all of that kind of gelled together, and then it came into uh, into a proposal with my with my agent, and we and we put it together and sent it to the publisher. But in any case, so so that's kind of the genesis of, of why I thought, hey, you know, let me let me write this book. I'm sure others must have the same questions.
1: Yeah, I certainly do. And and you got to talk to many interesting people in the business world. What were the most surprising insights that you got?
2: Well, first of all, I was very surprised at the number of people who said yes to the interview. I thought. You know, some people might might not want to reveal you know all the dirty secrets on how they got ahead, um, but but the the second thing was was how um, frank people were about their struggles. You know, um, Jamie Dimon, the the CEO of JPMorgan, the chairman and CEO, was really um, open about his uh, you know his essentially fight with Sandy Weil, his mentor at Citigroup, and it got to the point where Sandy eventually fired him. And that was a huge controversy during the time when it was happening. And I was, I guess enough years have passed that that Jamie felt like he could talk about it, but he was really very open about, um, you know, about that moment in his life. And he said, look, he went home, he told his daughters, "Uh, I got fired. And he said for the first time, it was really strange to go from 90 miles per hour to zero. and that was the same thing you know, with other CEOs about the mistakes they made. Um, Susan Line at AOL, you know, she said, I made the huge mistake that I thought just because it was a great idea, it's a great business. And, that, and that's failed spectacularly. So I was just surprised at how people were just very honest about and genuine about, about their failures.
1: And is that easy to do because they're now back on the top? Or have they been this way all along?
2: You know, I think it's easier because you're back on the top. It's obviously a lot harder if you're still in that position. But I also felt that they were being that 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 they would have mentioned it anyway or that or that it's a part of their fabric of, of who they are. You know, I felt like I felt like many of them many of them did feel that the mistakes that they've made were just as important as the successes that you have and in fact maybe probably even more important. You know, I'm sure many who are watching this or you know you and me like we've all learned from our mistakes and in fact you know there's that saying right that you can't feel happiness without some sadness so it's almost like you can't feel that success if you don't have those failures too.
1: So how do you actually think about then taking that into sort of everyday life? Right, is is the lesson to fail more often? Is it to, to try to figure out? To okay, try to how do I reduce really?
2: the number of failures. <laughs> yeah. So how do you, how
1: do you make those actually productive or or learning opportunities based on what you learn from the the folks you spoke with?
2: Well, a lot of it is attitude, right? I mean, you know, the problem that that the, the 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 issue that people have is that you know people fail all the time. I mean, you know, I can even point to this book project and and the number of the number of book proposals I've had out there outweighs the number of books that I've actually written by, you know, tenfold. So, you know, for every success, there's about ten, uh, a dozen failures behind that. Um, so, how, so it's a great question. How do you, you know, how do you, how do you take that then into your everyday life? Is you know what I found it's really all about much of it is about attitude. you know how do you bounce back? It's almost like how you bounce back is more important than than the failure itself. And so if you bounce back if you if you have that positive attitude, which Adam, I know you you are a perennial optimist as well. if you have that kind of attitude, um, it it can mean such a difference to the path of your career versus you know versus being taken down by it and wallowing in that in that mistake. So I know it sounds kind of. Um, Pollyannish or, or, or whatever, but, uh, but there was just evidence time and time again. Um, you know, there was, a, there was a one piece of research I read in this book, that, that I read for this book, um, and it had to do with this uh, this author of The Luck Factor, and he did this whole, I don't know if you know about this experiment, but he basically, to, long story short, he tried to find out why are some people lucky and why are some people unlucky, and he ma- did this experiment where he put two pe- people in a coffee shop um, and he rigged one person to be a millionaire. You know, one person was a quote-unquote millionaire, and he put fi- a five-pound, this is in Britain, so he put a five-pound note right outside, the co- right, right outside the coffee shop, and he had one person who was considered himself lucky go through the exact same experience as a person who thought of herself as unlucky. So basically, that person who was lucky found the five-pound note, went into the coffee shop, bought a cup of coffee, sat next to the millionaire, struck up a conversation, and they had a great the beginnings of a great relationship. The person was unlucky, walked by the five-pound note, just like on cue, went into the coffee shop, bought her coffee, sat next to the millionaire, and did not say a word to the millionaire, and left the coffee shop and said, you know, and, and didn't do anything. And so when you look at those two instances, who who's lucky and who's unlucky, and who makes their luck and who doesn't, and who misses the luck? So it really is, a, in many ways, about... About your attitude, about how you behave in life. Mm-hmm.
1: Is there a, a sort of counterintuitive piece of advice that you picked up through this process?
2: That's a great question. Um, I don't know about counterintuitive, but there was a great piece of um, insight that Sam Zell, the the real estate mogul um, from Chicago, that he he said to me that really made me rethink about what a big organization is really about. He said to me, look, as an entrepreneur, um, you know, I need as much information as possible. In a big corporation, people use information as currency. So they trade it. The more information a person has, the more power that person has in a big organization. But he said, in a small company or an entrepreneurial environment, if you're keeping a, a piece of information away from me, then you're you're damaging my own company um, because I need to make decisions you know quickly and I need to make them with as much information as possible. So he told me a story about a woman that he hired from a major corporation. He said she was an overachiever. Uh, He said she was you know she had she was a star all the way through her career. Came into his organization nine months later nine months later he fired her and he said it's because she used the same practice of using information as currency. And when he told me that, I thought, geez, how many big companies have I worked for where I have seen that happen? I have done the same thing. You know, I take, I have done the, committed the same crime of of using information to get information from other people and using information and hoarding it so that I have the power, you know, over the colleagues that I work with. And, and I thought, geez, that is such a great That is such a great observation, and I need to check myself and make sure I'm not doing something like that because organizations talk about transparency, but it's the execution of it that really obviously matters.
1: Yeah, I think it's it's something we've all faced and, yes. you know, I think about my own experiences of, you know, you come across a piece of knowledge that seems to be unique. Do you basically use it for your own benefit or do you try to figure out how to share it for some kind of collective gain?
2: Well, yes, because Jay Samet, uh, who is a founder of this company called Uvu, it's like a Skype, Skype-like um, company, he said to me, we were sitting at, for coffee and talking about this book and I was d- doing an interview for the book and he said, I said, what about your, because he's a perennial entrepreneur, he's a perennial uh, startup guy. He's like started up, you know, a dozen companies. I said, what about ideas? You know, what, you know, do, do you, how do you, how do you come up with ideas? And when you come up with ideas, what do you do with them? He says, your, everybody, every person's job is to make sure that if they have an idea, not to hoard it, but to give that idea to everybody else. And I said, but. You know, people say, I have an idea and I want to keep it and I don't want anybody to know about it. He said, no, your job is to kill your idea. He said, beat it up, find every single way why that idea is a bad idea. And what you come out with at the end is the actual idea. So when he told me that, I thought, wow, like, you know, everyone has a different reaction. They all think they have to, you know, keep their ideas secret and, you know, only release it at a time that they feel like it's, it's, you know, it's the proper time. But he was saying, absolutely not, just broadcast it out. He said, because part of the reason is that everybody, many people have great ideas, but very few actually follow up on them. So that's, you know, if you're the rare person who follows up, you're way ahead of the game.
1: It reminds me of some some research by Dunbar and colleagues who found that successful microbiology labs that produced a lot of patents and groundbreaking innovations actually had this norm of just tearing each other's ideas apart. And you you almost couldn't get through a day without having your idea dissected and destroyed, but it was for ultimately the benefit of, of new discoveries.
2: Right, exactly. That's exactly the same idea. You're like, wait a minute. Where did this come from? Where did from? this come from?
1: Well, I am curious, you know, there's there's just a fascinating sort of cast of characters in this book. And if you think through the different interviews that you did, are there one or two people who stand out as the most interesting?
2: Well, you know, I mean, Sam Zell, I think is is a fascinating character himself. And Warren Buffett, of course, you know, I've interviewed him, you know, about a dozen times so far in my career, and he's he's always uh, you know, very very interesting. But um you know, you know, it's almost like trying to pick from like your, you know, because they were actually all um, really, really interesting. But um, Jamie Diamond, I thought was, you know, this was during right at the height of uh, the London Whale uh, fiasco. And I had a little bit of a curiosity to to just see, you know, did he have more stress lines on his face? Was he, you know, just a little bit more down from everything? And he was true to form, you know? I mean, he, he knew he had to be on, but he was he was very, you know, sort of still Jamie Diamond. still, you know, I'm going to get through this, and I'm going to get this company through this. Uh, Bob Ben-Moshe actually was a really interesting interview, and, and, you know, I'd always heard all these stories about him, and— you know, that he's kind of a, you know, quirky guy, and you know, he came out of, he was, had a vineyard in Croatia, and he came out of retirement to take over AIG, um, and he, you know, called, I don't know if you remember the, the famous line where he, when he came out of retirement, he, you know, he had said something to the effect of, "I'm going to take over AIG. I'm going to bring this company back to life, and I don't care what those crazies in Washington think of me." And uh, those crazies in Washington got pretty pissed off at him, <laughs> and uh, you know, didn't like didn't like what he said about them. But um, he was he. I just thought he was very interesting because he had a lot of um, insights about what it was like to be, you know, to be not poor. But almost on the brink of bankruptcy when he was younger, uh, when his father passed away. So, uh, just I know I'm rambling here with, with some of these stories, but they were all there. I, I took nuggets from all of them and just applied them to my life.
1: Well, I guess on the subject of applying some of these ideas to your life, you said you were surprised that so many people actually said yes to these interviews. Mm-hmm. And, and one thing that, that I wonder about is if you didn't have the, the history and the relationship with them, if you weren't at Bloomberg. What can we learn from a successful journalist about how to actually get access to somebody whose ideas are so important?
2: Well, you know, it's funny you mention that, Adam, because, you know, yes, the Bloomberg platform helps. And yes, you know, the, the fact that I've been in this career for so long also helps. But, you know, I want to, I part of my motivation in a way for, for, the, for a book like this is I want to let people know that access to people like Jamie Dimon and Warren Buffett. And Bob Ben Moshe and Sally Crawford. It's really not that hard. I mean, any of your students, if they tried hard enough, uh, would be able to get a response from any of these people. Uh, you know, it, it's accessibility, it's being able to go to them with the right question and the right proposal. And any one of them would be accessible to, to anybody. And, and that was kind of what I wanted to, that was kind of a, a, motiv- a motivation for the book that, you know, here's, here's the access, but you yourself, can get that access if you try, and you just apply your, you know, your energy to it. Tell us how. <laughs> good ideas, um, good questions, um, hard work to find their, prop- their correct con- contact info. Um, I do believe in the you know, six degrees of separation, you can always find somebody who knows someone who knows someone who knows that person. Um, and I think that kind of skill is so important in whatever profession you are whether it is journalism or you're an entrepreneur or you're a banker or you're you know, a professor. You know, so, um, but once you get in the door, it's important to really think carefully how do you approach that person, what's, a compelling, what's your compelling um, you know, opening to them. And, it, you know, people, it, people, for instance, they email me, you know, um, and if, if there's a big difference between emailing me because they've read something that I've written or, or that I did on, on my show or they're, you know, seeking some sort of um, guidance or advice versus, you know, hi, my name is such and such and could you help me with something. You know, there's such a big difference. I'm sure, Adam, you get tons of emails like that too. And there are differences, you know, to, there, there's different approaches, and some are more effective than others.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's, there's no doubt about that. No doubt about that. Well, I, you know, I think it's interesting that you were sort of encouraged to write a book on career advice that you would offer, and then you turned to other people and, <laughs> and curated their advice. Right. But if you do look back on your own career and think about how your view of what it takes to succeed has changed over the past few years, what, what do you know now that you hadn't perhaps thought about before?
2: Uh, that's a great question. Um, you know, I've always, I mean, I, you know, I always, I've, I've, I've always known that, you know, my parents taught me, you have to work hard, you have to work hard. Um, you have to, uh, uh, you know, uh, know your stuff, do your research. And so when I started, when I left college and I started out, that was kind of my, you know, my focus. Work, you know, work hard, do all your research, you know, your, your, you know, everything that you, whatever work that you do is gonna rise, it's gonna rise to the top if it's good work, no matter what. Um, so that was kind of, that was my focus when I graduated in my 20s. But as I've gotten older and older, you know, I start to realize that it's much more, that now my career is, yes, all about that, but also I've learned that relationships really matter, that being likable really matters, that um, giving, giving is almost more important than it is, you know, it always is, but taking, that, you know, that there is really, you know that, that that all that those things are also almost just as important, and maybe even more so than just being a a really you know a really excellent writer or a really you know great show host. Um, so I've kind of I guess you could say matured you know in my view uh, through the years where, you know I had sort of this very narrow kind of view of like what what how how do I get successful? How do I be successful? So now it's more about you know what about the people around me and how do I, you know how do I lift them up? so that then I will also be lifted up. How do I become, you know, how do I make sure I'm everyday adding to them? How do I give to them so they'll give back to me? You know, those sorts of things I'm, start, I'm learning now as I get, as I get older.
1: Well, needless to say, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of that particular message. I know, yes. And in, in closing, if you, know, if you think about the different ways that, that you try to help or give back to others, is, is there a favorite that stands out?
2: Well, um, I always you know I, I always I always hope that when I'm on on the program and I'm you know doing my interviews or um I'm you know uh essentially re- you know reporting information I'm always hoping that I'm teaching somebody something that I'm always that I'm giving them information that they couldn't have gotten before anywhere else or that it's analysis that they that they couldn't have gotten uh you know anywhere else so I always I always hope I'm I'm doing that on a you know interpersonal on, on an interpersonal level. Um, I just try to mentor as many as many people as I can. You know, young people who, who come up to me and say you know I would like to be in television or I would like to do journalism or, or, or many of them come up to me and say what should I do. Um, so I'd I'd love to do more of that. And I and I think you know as I as I continue in, with this book that I'm hoping that I get to part parse, you know, parse out some of that information and be able to distribute that to, to, to other people so that hopefully, you know, a light clicks for them or something clicks for them in their heads and it changes the way they, they view their careers.
1: I'm, I'm looking forward to watching that. And again, congratulations on the launch of WorkSmart. Thank Smarts. you, Adam.
2: Thank you very much.
0: For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.